Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bocciolata. Right now, all of us are hunkered down in our homes, uh, whether you be in the state of Florida or listening to this elsewhere. We're in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic that has hit the United States in a big way, and actually quite possibly in a bigger way than it hit China, where the virus originated, and uh, Italy and Spain, where I uh, really began following the coronavirus because, uh, as many of you know, I, I uh, am involved with, with the sport of soccer uh, for my living, and games in Spain and Italy began being played behind closed doors and then flat out canceled toward uh, the middle to end of February. But now it's possible the U.S. has it even worse in those places. And we've been through a pandemic like this before in the United States, in Florida, the 1918 Spanish influenza, which was a, a misnomer because the, the virus actually did not originate in Spain. We're not sure where it originated, but it did not originate in Spain, Robert. But Florida got it really hard in 1918. And another place where it was really uh, hard hit in the state of Florida was Ybor City and Tampa. Uh, cigar factories, etc., where people were cramped in, and this thing just spread like wildfire. Yeah, they, um, they still don't have solid estimates, um, but they believe that it was about 100 million, 50 to 100 million people globally died from this. And uh, while this podcast is not about national or global news, it's about Florida news, uh, Florida was not left unscathed by nope. this uh, massive uh, global phenomenon that swept through the world for um, really quite mercilessly for about two years. Yeah, Robert, that's absolutely correct. According to official statistics, Florida had 2,712 deaths in the first month of the Spanish flu epidemic in the state, which was the middle of September of 1918 to the middle of October of 1918. Then by the end of 1918, by the Christmas season, holiday season of 1918, we're talking about approximately 4,000 deaths in the state of Florida. And remember, when we're when we talk about the state of Florida in 1918, we're talking about a very sparsely populated place, the least populated state in the southeastern United States. Now, in 2020, as we face the coronavirus epidemic, Florida is the most populated state in the southeastern United States and the third most populated state in the United States. So it's it's different demographically now than it was uh, in 1918. Then in the early months of 1919, we have no reliable statistics about that here, passed from pneumonia. And the pneumonia was thought to have been more severe because people's immune systems had been weakened by the Spanish flu. Florida didn't have any real big cities in 1918. The Tampa area, the Miami area, Key West, Jacksonville, St. Augustine to a lesser extent, Pensacola to a lesser extent. You also had towns that had sprung up like Arcadia and Bartow in the center of the state. And Bartow, Polk County, was particularly hard hit. Uh, So this did not spare any part in 1918. You you talked about Tampa Bay um, and the the, uh, cigar rollers. Um, This would probably sound um, uh, surprising because I, I don't think people necessarily even really remember 
the concept now of cigar rollers. I mean, it, it, but at the time, it was a, a you know, I guess, I guess you'd say an, es- an essential role. Um, you know, all the all the people that are deemed essential workers are still out and about going to work every day, and they were essential workers. And half of them, half the, of of those workers in Tampa Bay died from the Spanish flu. Uh, flu. And what was so shocking to so many of them was that it wasn't affecting the elderly and it wasn't affecting children the way a normal flu does. So while they were sort of barricading these, uh, you know, these two extremes of of age, um, it was attacking, violently attacking, um, strapping young men in particular, somebody, you know, between 20 to 40 was far more likely to die from this than a child or an elderly person. And uh, famously, the mayor, who himself um, ended up contracting it, he had to hire, um, basically deputize members of the Rotary Club to sort of police the streets to make sure that people weren't spitting on the streets um, to sort of kind of bring about a, a new level of uh, hygiene control. And that was that was one of the, the great horrors, horrors of this was that so many people were getting it because of a lack of hygiene. Also another issue that we are now facing, our, our governments are sort of scrambling to meet this new threat and a lot of the infrastructure and a lot of the methods that are in place got their origins from the Spanish flu. So we will adjust as we move forward in dealing with this, but at the time we're basically getting sucker punched by events. They too were totally outnumbered by the issues that they faced. You you look at some of the images of quarantine camps in South Florida and in Tampa Bay, and you wonder how anybody could have been placed there and not felt as though they were basically given a death sentence. People, you know, there there was, this was long before the whole concept of a safety net with government. Um, there really was no feeling that government was going to protect you or look after you or had a responsibility towards you. These people were basically on their own and the medical field had nothing to combat it with and so it was it was a really horrible terrifying ordeal for every state but again particularly florida it affected people between the ages of 15 to 40 more adversely than youngsters people under the age of 15 or people over the age of 40 which is a little different than this current pandemic although i have to say based on the statistics i've seen out of some european countries and again i i follow europe closely because i'm involved in in the sport of football soccer as we call it in the u.s Uh, in france uh 
about 30 to 40 percent of the more severe cases have been people under the age of 45. So I, I don't know that we actually have the data yet on coronavirus to definitively say you're more vulnerable, much more vulnerable if you're over 70. You're more vulnerable in general to any illness if you're over the age of 70. So I, I don't think coronavirus, at least from my own interpretation, is any different that, uh, on that. The mortality rate from the 1918 influenza was 2.5% globally, at least based on the statistics we have, which is alarmingly high compared to any... I, I mean, I, I hate to... I don't want to politicize this too much, but you have some people on the... And, uh, first in the United Kingdom, then it spread to the United States, saying, hey, a lot more people die from the flu or are going to die from the flu this season than from this coronavirus, and throwing out wild statistics. And you had the president tweeting those statistics as well. The reality is a lot more people get the flu and a lot more people get uh, other illnesses. So maybe the mortality, the raw mortality rate is higher. But thus far, uh, and as we record this, we're um, in in uh, late March uh, of 2020. The mortality rate in the United States for confirmed cases of coronavirus is well over 1%. It's more like 1.5%, which is, again, like the 1918 outbreak, alarmingly high. Well, and, and, a, and a few things. Um, one, you know, look, folks, we do this every week, and one of the one of the compelling reasons why we do a Florida podcast, a Florida history podcast, is the fact that history is a powerful lighthouse to shine a path for all individuals in their daily life and their daily choices. And the reason why we are addressing this topic specifically right now is we want to show you all um, that there is a precedent for this, that a lot of the mistakes that we are making, we made then. And to to add to your answer your question, um, yeah, there was there was absolutely no way to account for what somebody was dying from. And it was, um, it was sweeping Europe at a time of, um, you know, a, a, another unheard of phenomenon, a world war. And much the way we don't have adequate testing today to determine how many people have it, which bear in mind, um, the CDC is saying for every person that has it, add 11 people to that number, and that's who have it. Um, so while we don't know how many people currently have it, back then they didn't know how many people were dying from it. And so when you have this conflict where there was so much death and there were so many opportunities and ways to die, nobody stopped to think, you know, these people that are dying in the camps, are they dying from this virus or are they dying from the consequences of war? And very similarly, more people died of sickness in camps during the Civil War than actually died on the battlefield. Correct, yes. So, so and, you know, and that's one of, that's one of the great consequences of war normally is illness. And uh, finally... You know, to to add to what you were saying about the Spanish flu and how it wasn't from Spain, it's very important for people to remember that for a very long time, 
they named illnesses after various groups as a manner of prejudice. Um, the, the very uh, powerful flu epidemic of the 1880s, they blamed on Chinese and Irish immigrants, even though there was absolutely no proof to it. What is, what is transpiring now to sort of label this as the Chinese flu is something that has been outlawed by the UN. That, that whole concept, you can no longer name an illness or a virus after a specific group. But at the time, it had a very lasting impact. And it was, once again, a way to separate people from saying, well, this isn't, this isn't the fault of our country, this isn't the fault of our hygiene, our way of life, this came from other people. Well said, Robert. Wherever you're listening, please stay safe, please keep your family safe, and we'll be back with you with a new Florida History Podcast real soon.